1: Let's take a look at the idea of standing up for someone or something. You're at home one evening and there's a knock on the door or a buzz on the buzzer or whatever. You open the door and there's someone there asking you to sign a petition banning the opening of a fast food place on your street. It's part of a well-known food chain across the country. Would you say yes and sign? Say no and not sign? Say, I would like to know more before deciding, or something else. And why this choice? When you stand up for someone or something, it means protecting or defending someone or something. Sometimes it means you get hassled, or even putting yourself in some sort of danger. Standing up for something is a big idea, and perhaps an even bigger action. So let me ask you, what would you do in each of these three situations? You're talking with friends and they start making fun of someone you all know and like. Or so you thought. But who isn't there at the moment? What do you do? What about if the person was there? What would you do? Okay, this time you're on your own. You're at a place where lots of young people hang out and you're there having something to eat. There's someone you don't know sitting by themselves but sitting quite close to you. Two other young people come in and stand next to that person, and it looks like they're threatening them, asking for something. What do you do? Passage from the book, Frames. Valeria interviews Peter Slattery, the author of Frames, 12 Fabulous Ways of Talking with Young People. Many years ago, Peter did a BA in Social Science and an MA in Psychology. He says he thoroughly enjoyed his time at university and freely admits to having learned something. He also says that the past 30 plus years of working with young people, especially with those having a hard time of life, have taught him a lot more and given him some ideas about how to make use of what he learned at university. Today, Peter works freelance across Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand, with occasional jaunts to Asia, North America, the UK, and Europe. He continues working with young people in all the places you expect to find them, within all the school systems, as well as in youth refuges, rehab centers, the many forms that youth programmers take, and in juvenile justice settings. Having done this work for a long time now, Peter finds himself in demand as a trainer of workers, as a supervisor and mentor, and seems to be constantly invited to speak at conferences both within Australia and overseas. He has published extensively in both the E and the hard copy worlds. He says he considers himself extremely lucky and thinks of his work as an uplifting challenge, a privilege, a joy, and often just a lot of fun. His website is peterslattery.com Here is the interview with Peter Slattery.
0: In your own words, who is Peter Slattery? Yes, that's the question
2: I expected. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I tried not to prepare an answer because I would rather sort of just be spontaneously me rather than you know, thinking about something. But it was hard not to think a little bit. And so I did. So I thought I'd just mention a couple of things that I do, which are actually important to me. And that's not who I am, but that's what I do. And they have significance to me. So I do a lot of physical things, but they're all, I don't play play sport, but I, I run most most days. And if I'm not running, then I cycle. And if I'm not cycling, then I swim. So I do those things and I do triathlons, obviously, because of those three things. And both my boys, my younger boys, we've got two big boys and two little boys. The big ones are grown and the small ones are not yet growing. Uh, they do them as well. So those things are important to me for all sorts of different reasons, which I could talk about, but they're, they're just important in terms of not just health, but you know, state of mind and everything else. Look, I'm certainly a father in training. I, I feel like I let myself down and my kids down constantly as a as a father. Uh, it's it's a hard gig, but certainly, and a father still in training. I suspect forever. That defines me and my life in in many ways. So we have the two big boys are now growing. They're thirty two and 30, uh, 31. But the other one just turned thirty one. And the little ones are, well, the little one's not so little. He's 14 and then the other one's 10. Um, so I take a lot of my life and a lot of my time and and my purpose is is built around the boys. We I've made a point of, as they've grown, to be there, I hope for everything that matters to them. And like all families, we go through hard times. So Peter Slattery is somebody who I think I think cares about, I think I care about my family deeply. And my partner and I, we're sort of we're quite volatile people. We're both really speedy. I'm speaking slowly for me. This is me at about half, half <laughs> pace. True. So we're both very, very speedy, which means both our boys are super active as well. And Janine, my, my wife, my life partner is from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and we are really important to each other as i suppose most if, if many if not most couples are so that relationship is is hugely significant to us in terms of how it continues to develop and i think inspire us and janine has a she's not calm at all by any means but she's got an extraordinary strength to her and so part of what peter slattery is is a person in relationship to other people i am definitely a, what you'd call a people person So I'll stop there and see if you want me to add anything.
0: I'll be asking you more questions to understand the way you think more about life. But thank you for being you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) I have no choice. This is who I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Frames, 12 Fabulous Ways of Talking with Young People, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record So the first one is, what does it mean to be a human, Peter? Oh, it it means to,
2: I feel like I need to be careful here because here I am, um, a privileged person living in Australia, and I look at the hardnesses of the world and the difficulties and some of the stuff that's happening in the United States right now around race relationships, which are echoed in this country. So I think to be human for for each of us is quite a different lived experience. And I think I I live mine from a position of a non-Indigenous person in in Australia, or in in any country I'm non-Indigenous. So I live, I think, a privileged life. To be human means, I think, to if, for me it means to struggle and it means to not give up the struggle. I think it means at times to be exalted, to be lifted up and at times to, to be brought low and to learn to live with all of those things, I think uh, we are each other's purpose. Uh, I think that's part of humanity. And I see people across the planet living in extraordinarily difficult circumstances, but living exactly in that way, that where they're lifted up and they're brought low on a daily basis, uh, and connected to each other and constantly, I think, strive to give their lives meaning. And people can, you know, some kid on a train will have be selling sort of cut onions and something else and he's selling it on a little tray that he's turned into this sort of work of art, you know, because this is his life and he's bringing meaning to it. So I think it's constantly the search for meaning and purpose and that bit can be found, I think, in the smallest detail.
0: Yeah, that's true. What
2: is well-being to you?
0: How would you define well-being?
2: Look, I can, you know, there's all sorts of definitions of that and all sorts of research and stuff around around that uh, one of the one of the frames in the book and the book came from my work not not from not the other way around I didn't like write my book I and mean, to bring it into my work frames is just a way of having conversations with young people and not just with young people either but one of the frames in the book is body mind heart and spirit and that, that seems to that encompasses humanity I think and that encompasses our our search, and I constructed that paint f- frame, especially for for young people who were particularly body conscious, because our bodies matter. But that's not who we are. They're just that's part of who we are, and that's what carries us around. So I'm not sure if I've really answered your question there or not.
0: Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I'll be exploring that subject a bit more later on. For now, I will continue with the warm-up questions. And the next one is about freedom. What does it mean to be free? What is freedom to you?
2: I think the first thing that popped into my mind there is freedom is not the thing that we should always seek, I think as human beings, we are connected to each other and we have a responsibility towards each other and sometimes that means limiting our own freedom in terms of you know what we choose to do and where we go and how we speak and what we pay attention to and how we spend our time. So we're not, freedom is not something that's uh, unlimited. I think freedom is, is the capacity to do pursue your dreams, I suppose, and that's already a privileged position to be able to do that. And I think we need to be free to be all that we are, whether that's a spiritual position or a religious position or a cultural position or a gender position or a sexuality position. So I think we need to be unfettered in that regard, but not free to do whatever we want, because I think we have... Connections to others, and that might limit our choices sometimes, but I think that's a good thing because I think, in in lots of ways, responsibility and connection trumps freedom.
0: At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Well, I live in
2: Australia. I think perhaps the world's greatest leader is just south of here in New Zealand, Um, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she's an extraordinary human being. She's, and she's fairly new to being prime minister. You have a president. We have prime ministers here. Uh, when she spoke, I think it was her opening address at the, at the UN, there was one world leader who was, he was threatening various other countries with withdrawals and all sorts of sanctions and conflicts. And Jacinda Ardern repeatedly spoke of kindness, Mm-hmm. and I think, you know, there's no, nothing economic in that, there was nothing cultural in that, there was nothing in terms of personal gain in what she was saying. She simply talked about something that she thought the world needed more of and she repeats that and I believe that she means it. So um, I'd be inclined to, uh, to back her and say I think kindness is, is a little, something that we're a little short on and we could do with more of.
0: Just to clarify, kindness. What would be the manifestations of kindness? Okay,
2: and this is not. This is. It's a comment about me, I suppose, or it's a story about me briefly, um, because people have done exactly the same for me. I was jogging. I saw somebody approaching me in the street. She looked like she was wearing a dressy gown and waving and gesticulating. Uh, and when as I approached her, she was crying and sort of talking to the air and she looked like she had a sore eye. And um, so I just stopped and talked with her and said, so dear, what's happening? And she went, oh, you know, and my, and this man has done these things and, and, and I have a false eye. <laughs> and she took her eye out and showed it to me. And that's an unusual occurrence. That doesn't happen every day.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> and you know, I said, well, are you safe? And she said, oh, yes, yeah, she left years ago. So she was going through something. In in her mind, who you know, and there was a person present for her who wasn't there at all. And she said, "I used to be healthy and I could run like you and stuff." And I said, "But here you are. You're you're walking. This, you're doing it. You're doing you know, you know physically looking after yourself. One of the great things to do, we know, when you're actually not feeling great, is to move. Keep moving. You are like you don't don't stop. Move. Do something." And I said, "You're doing it. You're doing exactly what you need to do. You know." And, and she, she calmed and, you know, I said, well, on these streets most mornings, are you all right? I can help you. She said, no, no, there's nobody at home. I, I'm, you know, I'm safe. I'll go home. And I said, fine. So look, that, was a, that was an act of kindness, I suppose. And I suppose that's you know, when I like myself, when I do something without thinking that I think is a good thing. And it occurred to me then. I've just been on, on, on a train in India where someone looked at me and I think they decided that I looked thirsty and gave me water to drink. Oh. And, you know, being a fairly sociable person, I kind of, you know, turned to them to have a conversation. And they they didn't particularly want to have a conversation. They just saw that somebody was in need and they could respond with water. And so and so they did. My 14-year-old boy who's who's going through a bit of a tough time at the moment and doesn't always love, <laughs> love the world. You know, the other morning I he just said, thanks, Dad. You know, thanks, Dad you in, know in a, in a really nice way because he he'd got a bit grumpy about something it actually we drink coffee in our household and he'd he'd made um, made me a cup of coffee I think and himself and had managed to pour them both on the floor somehow <laughs> you know and I thought that's that, he sort of got grumpy and I, I said Look, I'll make another one not a problem so I did and he was still grumpy and then a moment later I heard him call out yeah thanks dad you know, that's kindness because he had risen above his own sort of disappointment at having spilled his coffee. It <laughs> 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 stopped being grumpy for a moment and he was kind to his father, you know, to me. All, all those things are acts of kindness, I think.
0: I love those. Yeah, yeah. They, they resonate very much as kindness. And somehow I connect the word kindness to patience, understanding, compassion. And why not the word love? What is love to you, Peter?
2: What leaps to mind automatically I think is love is an action. We can say all sorts of things. I was asking somebody once what the word what respect meant, and they were telling me and their phone went off, their mobile. Do you call them cell phones? We call them mobiles. And he just turned away. And I kind of thought, and, and he was explaining to me what respect meant while answering his phone. And I thought, well, <laughs> I think he's missing the point here somewhere, <laughs> you know, like there's right. something not in keeping with his words and his, and his actions. So certainly love are things like feeling, but love is something that's I think is unlimited. And I think, and my partner would, would say beautiful things. You need to talk with her about this. Um, she, she has endless, boundless love. It's not limited by relationships. She's very deeply connected to her culture. She's indigenous to New Zealand. She's Maori. So she's deeply connected to her culture and to her whanau, her family, Um, but to us as well. We're not an easy family, but I feel that Janine loves us and we love each other because we're committed. We're not. I think our our boys know that we're not going anywhere. You know, if it gets difficult, we'll be there. So I think it's all the... The things where you look at somebody and you feel something are often often quite physical, I think, where you actually can go, you feel your body responding to that other human being because there's a connection and there's a, and there's a warmth there and there's a closeness. And I think there's that and then it's how we behave towards that person, how we behave towards ourselves. And, and love isn't limited and I think we're probably care for spend more time with do more things for those who are physically and emotionally close to us but love is not limited by those people and that love is not diminished by it being spread to others across the planet and again we can our love then is defined by the actions that we take i think on behalf of others and the planet on, on which we live
0: um, what is your understanding and idea of peace
2: i think it's Certainly the absence of, of conflict and tension, but that's almost impossible to achieve, I think. It's it's a goal, it's, to, it's something to aim for, but it's likely always to be, I think, tension in the in the world, larger or lesser. So I think peace is something to do with, you know, there are things that people would have on posters on walls would say something like this, I think, but I think there is something about looking to where we can make a difference and where we can make change, but at the same time I- accepting who we are and what's happening around us because we're frail creatures and we can, uh, you know, I, I was raised a Catholic and <laughs> Catholics are very good at beating ourselves up. You know, everything's my fault, you know, do a global warming, it's my fault. So I think if we can we can look at who we are and say, all right, okay, and I can say to myself, you know, Pete. You know, you, you were you were tough on your son that day. You were grumpy with him, and you were grumpy with him because you were grumpy with yourself. Uh, and it's a good thing not to be grumpy with my kids. But if I can go, all right, well, don't beat yourself up about that. What you tr- what you strive to do is to bring, you know, a sense of peace and calmness to how you behave and and how you and see that within yourself and accept that it happened and try to be a better human being. Um, because I think we need to be at peace with ourselves so that we can be of value and connection to others.
0: Yes, that's a wonderful answer. We need to be at peace with ourselves before we try to make peace or trying to manifest peace with others or even begin understanding what peace is outside of us. So let's talk for a moment about spirituality. What, where and who is God to you? look I
2: don't have any convention. I, like I said I was raised a catholic and so I believed in uh, sort of a, a catholic god there's a comedian called Dara O who's irish and catholic and he talks about catholicism being the most sticky of religions and, and he's yeah, I think he's quite right that you can you can say I'm not a, I'm a, not I'm a non-catholic or I'm an ex-catholic but you can't ever it's like saying I'm not greek anymore or I'm not mm. brazilian it just you know it's not it's not possible so you you stay who you are look i think uh, spirituality can be simply being at peace with who you are and where you are and even how you are imperfect as that might be and, and that's an aspect of i think spirituality i think there's another aspect where people imagine deities and being somehow which you know, inhabit the universe and i think that's all possible and you know and if that's what you believe and it brings in harmony to you, you and the world, then fine. I think there's another sense of spirituality where we consider ourselves be, to be part of this world. And I think of myself in that world, that I am part of this place. I came from this place. I will return to this place. My body will change. But some part of me in some way will always, always be part of this. And then I think you can imagine or conceive of spirituality as being connections and practices which might mean meditation or it might mean yoga or it might mean uh, particular actions or, or things that you do and that's another form of spirituality. Young people these days are defining spirituality for themselves in all sorts of different ways and some of those things are simply playful and there's nothing wrong with that and some of them have deeper deeper meanings and searches for meaning so I think it's a very open word And as long as it has good things within it, it can be just about anything.
0: True. So true. The way you connected the word spirituality of God to the sense of inner peace and being at peace with ourselves would be a wonderful definition for spirituality, right? And I agree. And my last warm-up question, what do you think is the purpose of your life at this time?
2: To live it. Mm-hmm. To, put, to put it simply, I mean, I think of myself in terms of responsibilities and, you know, it's it's my family. I have, uh, and, and our kids are young. And so I have a lot of my life is, is, I mean, I think we need to look after ourselves. Janine and I, we need to look after ourselves. And it's absolutely true that I do a lot of work with parents and, you know, parents who have lost their kids to, because they've done things and, and they've been, kids have been taken away from them. And they get sentenced to me to (laughs) learn how to be a good parent. And I just go, let's forget that. Let's just have a look at you. You know, like if if we can do stuff together so that you feel lifted up and you feel good about yourself and you're okay with the world, then your kids will get a good deal. Um, You'll be the best parent that you can be. And so my life at the moment is filled with our family and with with the raising of our kids. And that takes up a lot of my body, heart, mind and spirit.
0: True. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. I'm not a mother, but I can You're imagine. Be, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer? Um, well, I
2: used to write as, a, as when I was a kid. I used to imagine things and, you know, invent stories and things. So I'm, I enjoyed that. And in terms of, you know, I've written a number of books now or two, I suppose, and two in a bit. And I started writing one about 25 years ago and never got to complete it because somebody said, would you make a video about how you work with young people? And in lots of ways, videos are easier than books. I can go, oh, I'll show you what I need. I'll go out and do some work and we'll video it and, and that would be easier. But I actually enjoyed the process of writing. I think because I've been doing this for, you know, 30 plus years now, I think if I was an Indigenous Australian, I'd be, uh, you know, an elder now as a, because I'm not. I'm just an old white guy. <laughs> so um, it's it's... I think we have a responsibility to pass things on. And, you know, younger workers come to me and say, um, you know, how did, how did you get to do what you do and what keeps you going? And there's all sorts of answers to that. And uh, I, I love my work and I, and I feel that I just do have a responsibility so I can put that, you know, put it down onto the page. And I don't don't. I can sit there for the next thousand years if it wants to, but it's probably more important that it simply exists while I'm around because people can then come and talk to me, and they do. So it's my contribution to the field in which I work, which is to work with young people, and particularly those who are having a hard time of life. So it's just a way of doing something which I actually enjoy and and makes a contribution to, I hope, the planet.
0: Is this work focused on uh, young people only, It's for young people, or anyone can benefit from your work? Uh, Anyone.
2: You know, the thing about young people is that they're young, you know, they're not grown up, you know, they haven't finished. So they they haven't, not that we ever finished, but they're not, they're not 25, they're not 30. And you know, we know about adolescence and puberty and all those things. So, you know, that, that's where I found myself working many years ago. I I went and did some studies and then I finished mine. I did those because they were people studies, you know, social science and psychology, and I enjoyed them. And then I thought, well, I need a job. And then I was looking for for work and then there was a job working with young people and that's where I started. But two things, no, pretty much everything that I do with a young person, you can do with anyone of any age. I've actually worked with, you know, 14-year-olds and 95-year-olds in the same room doing the same thing, doing cross-generational things, exactly the same. So there's, there's no there's no difference except when you're talking to somebody who's older, you pay attention to their experience and possibly their standing in the community if that's really important to them. To younger people, sometimes I can the expression in Australia is to muck about more, be more playful. So there's absolutely no no difference. Uh, there's no greater difference than. A difference between this person and that person. So some people, you know, like to be a bit more serious. Some people like to be a bit more playful. Some people like to, um, for me to speak more slowly and I probably should hear as well. Mm-hmm. So there's no difference. And I find myself, because I'm working with young people who are having a hard time, if I'm not working with the important people in the lives of those young people, they're going to get much less of a deal than they would young people aren't in charge of their lives they're often well reasonably subject to you know their families and they may be good or bad but there's school and there's you know legislation legislative things that say kids have to go to school more and more kids i think seem to be falling through the gaps in terms of you know not wanting to be at school and all those sorts of things so if i'm not working with the the people around young people then I'm going to miss a huge part of their lives. So I will, you know, I'm just in the past 48 hours, got a text from a a mum who's sent me a picture of her son. And I've I've been working with that family for for years, literally for years. And there were times when I was with with them almost on a daily basis. And some people might think over-involved. And we've moved to a point now where, where we just stay in touch and when COVID finishes, I'll go and have a coffee with them. Um, but I spend more time with the parents than I do with the, the young person, and I'm taking them through the stuff that I, I do with their kids. I'm their ally, and I have to, you know, I work very hard and with complete transparency around that. Th- those people are really important to, to to the young people. And I think when, if, in terms of, I don't know that I did great work with their boy, but I think what i helped was helping mum in particular, not despair. She was just, I'm like, I've spoken to her and said, look, I can show you emails <laughs> where you just said, I can't live like this. So uh, that's, I do, my, my work extends to working with the adults around young people. Often when I'm working with young people who are on the edge of being suspended from school or even expelled from school, and those um, those are not good outcomes. One, one particular deputy principal I'm thinking of in particular, um, this girl would, was doing pretty awful things at school. I mean, you know, they weren't they were good. Um, but for whatever reason, she was having a hard time and, and it was coming out in her behaviour. I, I would work with the principal all the time, the deputy principal constantly. I'd be in touch with her through emails. I'd go and visit her before I visited the girls. How's she going? What can I do? You know, And the t- she would say to me, look, Pete, we're going to have to get on top of this because... Other teachers in the school are saying to me, why is she still here? She's done things that are 10 times worse than kids who have been suspended. Mm. And so what I was able to do, I think, was you know work with that teacher so that she was able to go back and then have somebody who had her back who was going, well, Pete and I are working on this. Uh, so I became the support in her life more than the support in the girl's life in lots of ways. And that girl had a good outcome, by the way. I mean, she's actually – she's done well and we got her through – her final year of high school. But I think all my work there was with, with with the with the parents. So yes, all this stuff makes absolute sense in terms of adults or young people.
0: If you want to change a young person's life, you've got to address the source, the parents. Hmm. That came as a surprise to me.
2: I need to become the ally of the parents, of the, the police, of the you know, the community services people, and I need to and this is really important in the field in which I work, often I think we see ourselves as advocates for young people and we stand up for them and and we should and we need to do that because systems don't always work in favour of young people. They're often (laughs) appallingly working in the opposite direction. Mm. But I need to have the same regard for parents who are imperfect and for police not not in terms of the stuff that we've seen in the united states and in australia recently we know that those those actions just need to be they need to be addressed by the judicial systems apart from anything else but we need to change those things over time but i need to become the ally of the people who are important to that young person and their their well-being, otherwise I will fail. And I think sometimes in the sector in which I work, we almost see them as the enemy, you know, that they're, they're not doing their job, so we have to. And I think there are some, you know, monsters out there as parents and we need to take their children away from them. But most parents love their kids. They're just imperfect in getting it wrong. And so I need to see what I can do to help them as as human beings be okay and be at peace with themselves and accept their own failings and struggle like the rest of us to get it right. Because if I can do that, I'll do often as much for the young person uh, by doing that as I can by working directly with that young person.
0: What are the frames?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, it's just, again, it comes from working with young people who are having a really hard time of life. And, you know, know, I work with them in juvenile justice settings or schools or, you know, rehab centres or wherever. And often a young person will say, oh, look, this has happened. I've been kicked out of home again. And I'll go, "I, I didn't think you were living at home. I thought you were, you know. I was staying in that hostel. Oh, yeah, well, I had to leave the hostel. Gee, gee what happened? Well, uh, because I got into a fight with, how did it come about? Oh, okay, I got back on these drugs and stuff. And I go, I thought you'd stopped. And before you know it, you're sort of putting out fires everywhere or you've got this cascade of problems, you know, and if I'm not careful, I can just chase each one of them. So I thought, you know what, what I need to do is with, work with this young person by putting some kind of a border around some part of their life so that we can go, let's just have a look at that. You know, just have a look at that for a minute. And I know there's other stuff, but let's let's have a look at that. And see what we can do. So it might have been something like saying, uh, and you can just make up a frame on the spur of the moment. And it might be something like, okay, look, you know, think of everything that's going on in your life at the moment. And with some young people, I get them to write things down or draw, you know, things on a bit of paper because it gives you time to think and sort of externalise. What's going on for yourself internally, and you can see it in front of you, and you can point to it. So even if it's stick figures or just you know, okay, okay, that's everything. Okay, now put a, you know, and I don't need to see this either. You know, that's up to them. You know, they can put down whatever they want. I said, what do you think's the most important? You know, put a put a most important next to that. Um, okay, uh, which one of those things is most fun? Because that's really important. You know, I, I put a guess, you know, an F next to that, so that we know it's that. Okay. Which one of those do you reckon is most urgent? You know, so it might not be the most important, important, but it might be the most urgent. Which one of those is that? And then it might be okay. Which one of those? And I might not quite use these words, but where you, where might you get some traction? You know, which one of those things, if you were to have a, a crack at it. Which one of those things do you think you'd be most able to have an impact on if, if you need to shift it in some ways? So you know, where where do you think you'd get some success if you were to try and shift something? And it might be within the person or outside the person, it, it, all those things. And they I, I have a look at that and they put something against that and I go, okay, where do you want to start? Which one do you want to start with? And now they've already been through a sort of a process of thinking about what's important, but, but what's fun, I need to keep the fun. And this is important, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. I want my mom to love me, but she doesn't. You know, can I, how can I affect that? So already they're starting to solve their own problem, if you like, look at their own landscape and make some decisions about how to move forward. And it gives them runs on the board, as we would say in Australia. I don't know how you would describe that in the, in the States, probably something to do with baseball. And that's where we go. So the young person has agency, if we want to call it that. They have control. And they're, they're entering into a process where they can start to take control of their life. And it's done in a way which is contained. So it becomes doable rather than trying to solve everything. And they've got company, you know, at the moment, they've got me. And um, my guarantee for young, to any young person I work with is because I work for myself. So I can guarantee that I'll be here until I'm no longer needed. Like you know, Because all, a lot of young people expect you to quit. And, you know, they'll ask me, how long are you sticking around oh, until we're done? That's where the, the frames comes from. And, and that's how it works. And in the end, I decided to turn it into a book, which is what I've done.
0: And I think the what we call here in the United States that I hear is being the captain of your own ship, of your own <laughs> boat. Yep. Yeah. Given that sense of control to them, I love the method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You say how might the young person respond so that you pose a question and then you have this green light and the orange and the red yeah. talk to me about that that's a wonderful way to guide us <laughs> for the answers and response
2: we're all good at this, uh, of, at reading the world. Some of us are better than others. Some people are a bit oblivious, but most of us are, are, are pretty good at reading the world. Women in particular are really good at, you know, knowing which streets to walk down and you look down a street and you just get a sense of something, you know, yeah. there's a movement or you're standing at a traffic light and someone's just a bit too close. You know, they just, you know, it's not right. I think it's 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 that. So if you're talking to a young person, if I'm talking to a young person, I can see they're becoming agitated, you know, they're moving around and I'm thinking, well, I've gone somewhere that I shouldn't go. And I'm I'm pretty direct in the questions that I ask of young people. At the same time, I'm extremely democratic and want them to be part of that conversation and I want them to know also that they can tell me to mind my own business, you know, in the nicest possible way. For me, around if I'm getting a red light that is I can see in the kid they're becoming agitated something and the kid for me by the way is I define kid as anybody under 50 that's that's how my that's my definition of kid because uh, uh, we're, uh-huh. supposed, we're supposed to say so young my grandmother who I lived to be 100 I considered to be a sort of a maturing adult so there's my definition of kid if I get getting a red light then I might just simply stop or go somewhere else or sometimes even though I ask questions a lot because that's a way of paying attention to the other person it's not an intentional. Interrogation. I, you know, if I'm asking you about music and, you know, whether you like um, Brazilian music, for instance, and how can you not, then I might go, yeah, look, I just, I love, I love, you know, the clave patterns in, in music and, in, you know, so I can drop some part of my, me in that conversation as well. And that in, in the red light might become, you know, an orange light. If I've got a green light, it just means proceed. You know, the young person is responding. You know, they, they, they seem comfortable. They seem interested. They seem, you know, at ease with, with what we're doing. So I proceed. So red light says I need to either stop or I might just check in with them. And that's where I'm really direct. I'm going, look, did I just ask you something that was difficult to, to think about? Because we can go somewhere else. Absolutely. We can come back to that later if you'd like to or never. You know, that's up to you. You be in charge of that. Or let me ask you a question. And I want you to keep the answer to yourself. You're very welcome to tell me. I'd love to hear it. But if you want to keep that answer to yourself, keep it to yourself. Because now the person has privacy and they have choice. If you've got privacy and choice, you've got at least some control. They can tell me things. They can choose what they think about and They can tell me or not tell me. So straight away even in that opening conversation, they have agency. So it's just a way of describing reading the environment. If the young person is seeming agitated, then you need to do something to check and see if they're okay, see if you should proceed or stop, come back at a later time if you need to. If you're getting an amber light, then maybe you just slow down, maybe you go to a different frame, maybe you flip it around and see if they'd like to ask you some questions. If you've got a green light and you judge that it's um, everything's okay and the young person's comfortable with this and having a good time, so you keep going.
0: It in a way sounds like also common sense, but mm. um, common sense is not so common, unfortunately. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so intuition's better. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> I
2: like and that intuition is also is also means paying attention to what's going on around you, you know? Yeah. You're actually looking at your own signs and the signs are of others and what's going on around you and, and you back your own judgment based on lots of little
0: bits of information
2: yeah intuition is worthwhile
0: so i'm wondering how do we choose a frame or how do you choose when you're working with young do you choose one based on their personality situation there's a couple of ways
2: I mean, if you look in the book, on pages, I think, I'm just opening the book myself, yeah. um, I think it's on pages three and four where there's a whole bunch of little drawings yeah. of, because each, each frame, no, I'm lying to you, it's not three and four, it's something else, no, it's, oh, it's one and two. One and two. Uh, one and two. Yeah, so like each frame has got some drawings associated yeah. yeah. with it and just to let you know, those drawings were done by my, then nine and ten year old son he did a whole bunch of drawings oh, you know. so they're all so today my son my big boy is now 14 um, this is published a few years ago but I would often say to him like how would you show you know, if you're going to draw a picture of learning how would you represent that so he'd draw something and you know or I'd say can you draw me a picture of somebody sitting down or, or what so he'd mm. so all the, the pictures wound up in the book mm. so what I'd like to say to it so each of those um, frames is usually got a couple of words associated with it in a picture, you know, a little drawing as you can see and I can see right now. So I can look at one and it says, look, listen, feel. Now that's pretty much a, a kind of a, a Pete Slattery version of mindfulness activity. One, the one next to that is laugh, cry, sigh. And that's about the things that, you know, bring us joy and the things that bring a tear to our eyes and things that bring sort of a calmness to us. So I can just say to the young person, have a look at that, check these out and pick one. And then the young person picks it, and then I turn to the you know the, the page. And the, each frame has only got three or four pages. They're not very long. And then I ask the questions. Now, because conversations are wonderful, living things, I might go to that particular frame that the young person asked me about, and I'll start with a question, and they give us an answer, and I just follow the answer because, you know, I don't, I don't have to stick to what's in the book. Or I might go off track. Then we'll have a conversation based on their initial responses. Then we'll come back to the questions that are in the book because they seem like good questions. It might be as simple as that. So they just pick a frame. Or if I know the young person, I might actually say, you know, when I know I see them next time, I'll say, ah, look, I've been you know, thinking about the conversation we had last time and I, I reckon this frame here would be just fabulous for you. What do you reckon? Or some young people I work with, you ask if you know all the the things that i do with young people uh, can be duplicated or are they relevant to adults there's a school that i work in and it's kind of a a special school i kid uh, i suppose for kids who are having a hard time and tend to sort of blow up and stuff and there are different young people who i'm working with there and uh, there's a girl in there who's kind of really uh, she's not 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 everybody's conceptual but this girl is Uh, So some people are really concrete. Some young people are like, if I actually talk about how do you make your life better, I'd have to say, okay, Friday night, you come home, you go into the kitchen, what's happening? So it has to be really pictorial and practical. Other young people, I can say, if your life was going to be better, what would you be able to do to make it better? So that's an idea. At this point, there are no pictures involved. This girl's really conceptual, so we can play with concepts and stuff. So she understands stuff that... um, that some of us don't and she's lovely kid to work with although they all are and i would say to i've been you know i go to the school and i go okay here's the book you know me but what do i need to have a look at right now you know what you know and and so she's in charge of that so now she is asking me the questions and picking one that she thinks would fit for me and that's a lovely thing to do because and people will talk about boundaries and maybe kids shouldn't know things well, they shouldn't, but a boundary is set not by the question that is asked, but by my response to it. So it's just a lovely sharing. You know, like I, I can answer. And, I, and if, even though I wrote this book, I've been close to tears with some of the questions that I've, <laughs> that I've been asked in my own book, and they go, wow. Okay. <laughs> so look, that, that's how it works. It might be simply me choosing a frame for you, Or you choosing a frame for you, or you choosing a frame for me. Lots of ways in which we can do it.
0: It goes back to that idea of relationship. Mm. So I love that dance too. When I looked at them, first one attracted me immediately, and then the body, mind, heart, spirit. And then I saw the word love here again, (laughs) and I support love, respect. So I'm like chasing love in a way, (laughs) or the idea of what love might be. Would that be limiting in a way, Peter, if somebody has a mind like mine that's attracted very much to love, kindness and the heart, spirit? Should I be careful focusing too much on these areas and, and kind of forgetting the other ones?
2: Well, look, that's a great. I love that question. Actually, I've got to say because it's it's uh, you're asking a question about you, aren't you? Yeah. And yeah. I think two things. One is that I think we're, if, we're, if you're asking a question like that, that suggests you have an awareness. And so when people are oh self-aware, I get much less worried. I've got to say, okay. you know, I do a lot of supervision of workers, clinical supervision, and we you know we, we get together and and talk about their work because I've been doing it for a while now. And sometimes I hear workers saying, oh, no, I don't, you know, asking them about something and they'll say, oh, no, I found that quite easy. And, I'm, and I think straight away, well, that sounds really like a really challenging, difficult situation that I would find really hard for myself and I've been at this for a while. How come you're finding it so easy? You know, that's the thing that goes off in my mind. And so I need to explore that with that person because they're either I might be protecting themselves or maybe being a little bit cocky or maybe they really thought, or maybe it really was easy for them, or maybe they actually just underestimated what was going on. Sometimes I have workers saying, look, I'm worried that I'm you know, over-identifying with my client or I'm getting my stuff mixed up with, with this young person. And we talk about that. And I realize that their concern and their vigilance about themselves is so powerful and their ethical base is so strong that I have no concerns about them at all. You know, they're asking the question, am I doing the right thing? I'm I'm looking for feedback here. I'm looking for a discussion about my own actions. And I think usually when people are in a position where they're concerned that they might have done the wrong thing they're usually doing the right thing because they're paying attention to it so that's one thing so you are you know so your awareness has got to be protective and i've got to say it's hard for me to disagree with the idea of pursuing love in, in all of its manifestations i mean if you spent your days trying to encourage people to eat fast food i'd say well maybe you need to rethink that one um, <laughs> right. but i'm not you know i'm not you know I'm not, I'm not hearing anything bad about that. And I suspect, Valeria, that you know if you had the, hef- the frames book in your hand and you were using it with someone, I don't think you would be prescriptive in terms of um, which frame that mm. you thought would be useful for the person or you offered. And my guess is that you would, because you're a person who asks questions, um, you would ask me what frame I would want to do. You know, so Absolutely. I, yeah. I'm not fearful for you. I think it's all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay to be I, I all right. about love, right. seeing love everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it everywhere. It is, yeah. And I agree 100%. Love, I would say, is the foundation, isn't it, to everything else. So thank you, Peter. <laughs> I have, to, I have to disagree. <laughs> and uh, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions?
2: No, look, it's not really. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to open the book at random. All right, and the frame that I I'm just doing this so I don't, I'm not prepare. This is called stand up, sit down, look around frame. And you know, this frame is I'm reading from my own book. It says, you know, what are you prepared to actively fight for? And fight doesn't need to mean you know beating people up. That means you know actually take a position around and do something about. So, what are you prepared to actually fight for and defend? That's a stand-up. What in life do you think you need to actually avoid, stay away from, because we've all got those things? What is there that you feel you would like to find out more about? And that's inquiry and being curious about the world. So that's there's my own frame. And you know the very first line after that it says look around now let's just think about things you might want to take a closer look at and that's where it starts so that was just me randomly opening my book and thinking yeah I could do that right now you know that would be that would be a useful thing for me to do yeah. so yeah. I don't know if that's a passage from the book but it's the way the book works and it can still it can still actually make me think and feel so I'm pleased about it I'm happy I never know when I produce things like this I've written a book and I enjoyed the writing of it and I thoroughly loved working with the the friend and colleague who designed it for me and she's just it's a beautiful one and that was a delightful process in itself and now I'm hearing really lovely things about how people are using the book and um, and that's that's a joy as well yeah it's and you know it's, you know you can just download it from my website too know, I mean, that's the other thing it's it's there it doesn't I've made it free
0: Absolutely. I love your work. Thank you so much, Peter. And I have a few more questions for you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today?
2: Oh, it's not over yet, so I suspect I've got <laughs> more hard lessons. I've, I've got to say, when I said I'm a father in training, uh, I meant that you know, every day, every day. I look at, r- review how I am with my kids. Uh, so that's an ongoing lesson. And I think that has changed me. it's It's a constant constant challenge, and it, that's a complete roller coaster ride. It has extraordinary highs and extraordinary lows. So I think that's an ongoing lesson which I, I think is going to be ongoing <laughs> for, for a long time, if not forever. So the lesson that I'm learning because I'm not I'm not particularly patient uh, and I'm easily hurt, And easily lifted up. And so for me, I think the learning, the the lessons are coming from my my kids on a daily basis. As I said, the the big ones are growing now, and they've taught me a lot over the years as well. Now we have the 14 and the 10-year-old, and I think they are my teachers at the moment, and I'm doing my best to pay attention and learn.
0: (laughs) Consider them as teachers, right, right. Do you believe in unconditional self-love,
2: Oh, that's a hard one.
0: Uh, <laughs> I think it's
2: a good idea. <laughs>
0: right, it's a good practice.
2: Right? It's it's a hard one to do, and I think in some ways, I I think that the best part of me is in my work, and I think and that and I think, well, gee, that's terrible. Um, you know, how can how can I not how can I not apply the best part of me to my kids? And you know, do I, and People would say I'm hoping people would say I'm doing all right, um, but that's a hard one to do, I think. But what I what I've always been good at in my work, if I make mistakes and I do make mistakes and then I I can beat myself up about those really badly. That's the Catholic in me, I think. (laughs) Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But I I don't become self-indulgent because if I'm sitting around going, poor me, poor me, then I'm not going to be able to, you know, think clearly about whether I really did make a mistake. And if I did, uh, was I just off my game that day? You know, had I not had a, coffee that morning, you know, was I grumpy or sad because something had happened at home. So I review my work and what I do really, really carefully and really critically and really harshly. But I try to be honest with myself because I'm not. If I'm not, then I'm simply not going to do better. You know, like I, this, this, I'm, I work with people's lives. It's not something that I can be casual or relaxed about. I think in that sense, there's, there's self-love there, um, But it's but it's a hard thing to do. And because and it, it means it means me being completely honest and open with myself, and accepting my good stuff as, as as well as accepting my my less good stuff. And I try to do that with my with my boys as well. And and I think I fail constantly, but I continue to try and do that because they really deserve they really deserve the best parents they can get. And I've got a pretty wonderful mother, so if I can do my part and be the best father that I can be. Then I owe it to them to, to do that, and part, self-love is part of that. It means looking at myself and going, okay, that was a mistake, um, but that's okay. You know, you're allowed to you're allowed to make mistakes. You know, what else can you do? Are you doing stuff that's it's okay? Look at your boys. Are they all right? You know. So for me, self-love is something that's important and hard to do, and that in itself is an ongoing lesson to be learned.
0: Judging from the work. That you do and the way you express yourself, I would say you're a wonderful father too. <laughs> I have two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Very little.
2: Uh, yeah, very little. Whenever I've looked at those questionnaires about work-life balance, I can't fill them out because I don't have work and I have, you know, I don't have life. I have life. And within that life I, they're all they're things that are important to me that matter and i need to you know pay attention to them all you know my children my partner you know physical movement um, and and the work that i do with young people so that's an essential part of who i am and what i what i do so no you know if i I think I would make sure that I spent time with with my immediate family and those who are close to us. There's no question about that. So if I literally had 24 hours, I would spend it with my with my family and those who are close to us. Because the, the people who are not our blood relations are, are also our family. I mean, our, if, in our family, my own family, we we see Nick and Teresa and uh, other people who are they're really close to us. They're our family. So I would spend time with them. Somebody we had this discussion recently in terms of if you. You know, if you won the lottery or something, you know, would you quit your work? And I said, no. You know, like, no, I wouldn't. We wouldn't leave the home we're in. <laughs> you know, I might, might buy myself a new bicycle, but no, nothing, nothing would change if I if I knew that I was going to die soon. If it was in the next twenty four hours, I would certainly gather those around me who I love and who love me and spend the last hours with them.
0: What are three things about life you know for sure? We have one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or possibly more,
0: <laughs> but
2: there's one that I know of, yeah. that it's worthwhile and that it's about connection.
0: It has been a wonderful conversation, Peter. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I love your wisdom. Mm. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Uh, at my website, peterslattery.com.
0: Oh, great. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon.
2: Valeria, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've been looking forward to it, and it's been a complete delight. I'm so pleased that we were able to connect across the planet by sort of almost by an accident. It's been lovely.
0: Thank you. Same here. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now, Peter.
2: Bye, Valeria.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Peter Slattery, please visit his website, peterslattery.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.